Everybody's good. I like it. Good response. Grab your Bibles, your devices, something to scroll on. Phone, maybe an iPad. Perhaps if you're fancy and young, it's a watch. You could scroll your watches. Zephaniah. Not going to tell you the same joke I told you last week, but it is in the Bible. Zephaniah, find it. Hallelujah. Blessings to you. So glad you're all here tonight. Thank you for being in the house. It is a great place to be. Thank you to the worship team. Always does do such a great job. And if you're hungry for a little bit more musical worship, we're going to have a little bit more tonight. How about that? I, I shaved a few minutes off of this particular sermon because I wanted us to go back into some musical worship. And if you're still hungry for that, then join us this Wednesday at the discipleship classes because we start with live worship in the summit on the 14th floor Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Let me welcome you here and also everybody watching online. Welcome. Kings Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and all the other platforms. Welcome to King of Kings. We're so happy you're here in Jerusalem to join us tonight. Why don't you turn in your Bibles also to Zephaniah chapter 3. A couple of special uh, shalom welcomes to all these countries that are joining us tonight. Almost 30 countries, but from Andorra. Bless you. I don't know that we've ever had someone from there to, uh, before. And the Cook Islands, I do remember you guys have joined us before. Zimbabwe, there's some great ones tonight as well. Slovakia, and then Switzerland, keep it neutral. Amen. Thank you. It means you're in a good mood. You can laugh tonight. We're going to have fun in the Word of God. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to amen. Good. See, when the Holy Spirit touches you and you agree with something and, and, he, and your spirit wants to jump and be part of that, you say amen to that. That's what we're going to do in the Word of God tonight. Uh, got some good news for you. Those of you that are here in the land, you might already know this, but those of you that may be watching from abroad, we had less than 1,000 new COVID cases in the last 24 hours. Praise the Lord. We haven't been that low in quite a while, so praise God for his move. Thank you for all of your prayers, um, and we're excited to have you guys back in the house because that will start to encourage your friends. Hey, it's okay. You can come back in the house. The numbers are good. Praise the Lord. But for those of you that still need to be cautious, we support that. We're behind you. We want to continue to pray for you. And if you're watching online to be safe, you are loved and missed. You take your time. You'll be back with us when you're ready. Sometimes I get the chance to say thank you to the worship team and maybe the production team, the media team, the camera people. Uh, but tonight I just want to say a public thank you to our First Encounters team. Now, what does First Encounters mean? Well, that means that's the team that is the greeters. You see them when you first come in. They're the ushers. They help us with the Lord's Supper, passing it out. They help with the offering and the tithes. They help you with anything you can't find, the bathrooms or your children, you know, whatever. They're helping with those things. That's the First Encounters team, and we're going to do a special thank you and uh, time of dinner with them tonight, but I wanted to praise them and say thank you publicly. So next time you pop by somebody that has a little lanyard on, shake their hand, say thank you, and if you want to be part of that team, see one of our First Encounters teams. They can tell you where to go with that. Amen? Thank you, Pastor Mike and Jackie and all of those that do such a great job. And thank you, Josh, tonight for the great Pasha reading. You know, it's an honor to read the Word of God, but it is a double honor to see a young man read the Word of God with passion who just got done working one of the cameras. Pulling double duties. Josh, thank you so much. Now, if you didn't join us over the last two weeks, let me give you a quick recap. In the opener from the book of Zephaniah, we called it, Does God Change? That's the 
sermon series, if you're finding it in the archives, Does God Change? In week one, we talked about God's pattern of judgment, how he cleanses the earth. We noted that in Genesis chapter one, we get those verses after something has happened. Something apparently has gone on. That's why there's darkness on the earth. That's why there's the spirit of God hovering over the waters. We call that the judgment by darkness. But it's a pattern. There's the judgment by kicking out. I made that term up. Forgive me. I was just trying to describe something. Kicking out of the Garden of Eden, unfortunately. When sin was present, God in his judgment, in his mercy, if you will, kicked them out of the garden. The pattern of the judgment of kicking out also seems to cycle back through when it comes to the children of Israel, right? We, with, with our persistence of sin and God's prophetic warnings over several generations, unfortunately, we wouldn't turn, we wouldn't repent as a people, and unfortunately, God had to send us into exile. It's another kind of a kicking out judgment, right? Kicking out of the land, kicking out of Eden, if you will. So there's that pattern. There was certainly the flood of Noah, the cleansing of the earth through water. That's the judgment by water. And we talked about, according to the prophet Zephaniah, there would become the judgment by fire. This is coming. That is the theme of the book. In week number two, we looked at why does God cleanse the earth like this? And a lot of the reasoning in this section of Zephaniah talks about idolatry. And while certainly we noted that we're not a culture that necessarily carves out something from stone, it doesn't necessarily carve out something from wood, and we don't bow down to it like they might have done in the ancient times. We noticed that there was still idolatry in our lives, that sin is the thing, and idolatry is the thing that we run to first. It is the thing that we need comfort from. The thing that when there's, there's pressure in our life, there's stress, where do we go to relieve that? That thing can become an idol. And then we noted that it's not just those that run to idolatry, but those that cause them to run to idolatry. And so we have to be careful in today's world how we lead people. You know, we talk about the media world, the social media world. There is a judgment coming to that stuff. Because there, there's a certain measure of idolatry that has to be watched out for, and then there's a certain measure of guilt for those that caused people to go to idolatry. There's all kind of industries on the earth right now related to that. Pornography, drugs, media, how, how it draws people to an idolatrous lifestyle for comfort. Then we talked about idolatry, after all, is really just one of Satan's tactics it's just one of the tools of distraction. His ultimate goal is just distraction. Can he get you to think about anything else other than God? He doesn't care what it is. Satan is not really that impressed with idols. He knows they're not real. He doesn't really care. If he can get you to think about anything other than God, then he wins. And that's distraction, his tactic. Let's jump into Zephaniah chapter 2 for our opening text. Here, the prophet, with the words of God, is speaking to Judah. They're anticipating the coming judgment. In Zephaniah 2, the first three verses, it says, Gather together 
Gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect and that day passes like windblown chaff before the Lord. A fierce anger comes upon you before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Hallelujah. Notice the phrase, the decree. That's tonight's sermon title, the decree. It's something that was, sin is on the earth, idolatry is there, God is sending warnings, God is sending the prophets. From the mouth of God, through the prophet, the prophet now speaks, and the decree is sent out. This will happen if something doesn't change. And in this passage, there's the introduction of a small window of time after something has been warned, after something has been spoken of from heaven, through the prophet, out the prophet's mouth, but it didn't happen yet. That thing he prophesied didn't happen yet. There's this little window of time. And God says, take the window. I'm giving you a chance to turn your heart. He calls for the humble of the land. Will you humble yourself? Those who seek the command of the Lord, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. This is talking about the judgment day of God when his wrath is poured out. And you say, well, I don't think it's very nice that God is angry at people. It's not so much that God wants to be angry at people. He's angry at the sin of the people. Much less the people. But the anger rises when it's not just sin, it's people drawing others into sin. There's a place you want to stay away from in your life. Stay out of that place, drawing others into sin. If you're in a group, lead the group to righteousness. There's a stronger judgment for the ones that lead them into unrighteousness. But there's this window of time once the decree has been set God is not so much angry at people as he is angry at the sin of the people and how it causes them to hurt themselves and others. And then as we know, without the Lord, hurt and pain replicates itself. If you're hurt and there's not healing from that, that hurt will replicate and it will hurt the next person. And that's why God wants to intervene. He wants to jump in. He wants to stop this cycle. He gives us a little window of time. You see, the perspective of God is very important when we read these verses and we see the word judgment and our heart can immediately jump to, oh, he's not nice. That's the wrong perspective. You say, he's not nice. What about the hundreds, if not thousands of people he's trying to save from being hurt? You don't think that's love? You don't think that's protection? You don't think that's niceness? You don't think that's fairness? Just because God told you to stop or me to stop, oh, that's not nice. He doesn't let me do what I want. Right, he doesn't, because what we're doing sometimes hurts other people. 
And when God says, you're not listening to me, I have to come, I have to judge, I have to cleanse. I'm not doing it for the fun of it. I'm doing it for the sake of others that they may live. You say, why does God exile Israel? Because Israel was an example nation among the nations. They were living out a bad example. The nations were following what they did. And God said, this is not how we designed it. Israel, you are leading others into idolatry now. We can't have this. You're hurting people. I'm going to have to kick you out. There's a judgment of exile until this changes. God judges out of love. He judges out of mercy. He judges out of protection for the other people who are being hurt. Let us not be a selfish generation that sees God as mean because we don't get to do what we want to do when we want to do it when it hurts other people, for sure. God not only wants his people to have a way out of sin and to live free, but he gives us the prescription on how to do it. He says, seek the Lord, be humble, obey his commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. And the result of doing these things is that the Lord will shelter you on the day of judgment. Proverbs chapter three, verse 33 and 34 reiterates this. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. Sounds very familiar because this same verse is being quoted by the apostle James in the New Testament. James 4, 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Judgment is coming. It comes from the mouth of God after warnings. It comes from God through the prophets. It comes from the prophet's mouth. It is spoken, but there's a window of time when the decree has been spoken, but it has not been fulfilled yet. There is this window of time, and God says, take the window. Be humble. Figure out a way to be meek. Figure out a way to repent and be soft-hearted in that window that I might stop judgment. Because you know, after all, how quickly God wants to stop the judgment process. God's heart of love doesn't want to have to do this. No more than a parent wants to have to discipline their child if the child would just say, yes, daddy, I will obey. I will do that. Sometimes we have to practice that obedience in my house. Say to one of the children, would you please do this task Yesterday, the three-year-old rolled her eyes at me. I said, listen, it's time for bed, okay? We need to go ahead and brush our teeth. I don't know how close the camera is, but she went like, ugh. I said, oh, rolling your eyes. Wonder where you got that. Then I looked at my 10 and 12-year-old. Gotta be a good example, Israel, right? 
But God's heart is so, so much for us that he wants to stop judgment if at all possible. I want to give you an example. I wasn't even going to use this example, but I thought it, it was pretty good because I was, what we do sometimes before the service is all of the servants that come early to help us put this together, we meet down front and I give them the plan of the evening and, and we, we leave it open to the Holy Spirit, but we have a plan. And sometimes because they're working so hard, they don't get to hear the messages in their entirety. And so I give them a preview of the message. But today, when I gave them a preview of the message, I came up with an example that was really good, but it wasn't in my notes. So I thought I'd share it with you because I felt pretty good about it earlier. So I, I like to build stuff. It's in my DNA. It comes from both of my grandparents down to my father, and, and we, we just build stuff. And so we get to use a lot of tools, and there's a tool called a skill saw. It's a, it's a cutting saw that's in your hand. Not the manual kind, not like you're sawing it like this. Something that's you know, plugged in or it's on battery and it's, it cuts. It's called a skill saw. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about a table saw. A table saw is exactly what it sounds like it is. It is a table with a saw. And in the middle of the table, this saw blade sticks up. And you can make it as high as you want it or as low as you want it, depending on how deep you need to make the cut of wood. And my uncle cut off four of his fingers. <laughs> You're like, Pastor Chad, why are you laughing at that? That's not funny at all. I agree, that's not funny. Except he is an extraordinarily good bowler. He's in a bowling league and he's bowled a perfect game several times. I've always thought that was cool for my uncle. But with the table saw, he cut off two fingers one time and then made the same mistake later on and cut another two off on the other hand. So I grew up around this. I grew up where, around tools a lot of times. People hit their hands all the time. Hit your thumb. Mmm. If you ever hit your thumb with a hammer, every bad word comes to your mind so fast. And it's really a measurement of how mature of a believer you are. Like that's the moment you measure it. You hit your thumb with a hammer, and if you, mm, oh Lord, I love you so much. Oh God, oh God, bless your holy name. Mm. I saw a guy hit his hammer, throw the hammer. He was on top of a roof. Hit his thumb, got mad, threw the hammer. The hammer went into a Winnebago and broke the, the window of, the, of the, the vehicle. I saw my brother accidentally with a nail gun shoot his knee, bent. Shot it bent. Had to show up like this to the hospital. Bent. Couldn't straighten it out. Same brother shot his foot into a wood board. They had to cut the board and take him to the hospital with the wood on the foot. I know what you're thinking, Pastor Chad, how has your family survived? That's what you're thinking in your head. And I feel all kind of judgment com coming from you right now. I feel a lot of judgment. Just kidding, we're family. 
Back to the table saw. So a lot of people were having these accidents, like my uncle, cutting off the fingers. So they invented a new saw. The saw has a sensor on the blade. If you cut anything that is not wood, the saw will shut itself off, the blade drops down immediately in one one-hundredth of a second. One one-hundredth of a second, it stops and it drops. So they take this saw around to all the conventions, they turn it on, they get all the people to watch, they take a little hot dog and they put the hot dog on the blade and boom, it stops. Then they'll show you the hot dog, it doesn't even have a mark on it. They literally put a hot dog on a moving blade and it didn't get a mark on it. That's how quickly God wants to stop judgment if you will turn your heart. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he doesn't want to go that direction. He gives us the the decree and then the window of time. Would you please just listen to the window of time and make a move in your heart? It doesn't even have to be a big move. It just has to be a little move, a little turn, a little softness, and that blade of judgment, it'll stop. That's God's heart for his people tonight. Now, last week, we looked at a various number of idols, laws against idolatry. We even mentioned some of the idols, Molech, Baal, Dagon, the starry hosts, some of the Egyptian gods. We also looked at how often God is capable of taking care of these so-called competitors. Doesn't really have a problem taking care of them, does he? The gods of Egypt, once they proclaimed a god to be a god, he just sent a plague to destroy that god. All the plagues are connected to Egyptian gods. When Dagon was set up, had no trouble toppling him over. They set him back up, toppled him over again. That must have been a fun game. God has no competition. Isaiah 45, 23, by myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. He knows it. He doesn't have a competition. He's not insecure in any way. And in Zephaniah chapter two, we find that there are other types of idols than the carved kind. There's pride, arrogance, there's distraction. Do you know there can even be idolatry over a city? Idolatry of a country, of a culture, of a government, or an ideology? You know, that can be an idol too. Be careful in these days. Thinking that man and man-made things are so wonderful in their institution that they have become as great as God is extremely dangerous and idolatrous. To think we've invented something to rule ourselves as good as God is extremely dangerous, even if that good thing is a government. Now, we believe in good government. We believe in 
democracies and democratic republics and voting system, power to the people. We believe in all that. But every government of the earth is going to fall short. And there's a reason. It's because the earth wasn't created to have those kind of governments. It was created to have a theocracy. So every other government, as good as it can be, is always going to play second fiddle. It's going to be number two to God's rulership. So we don't idolize them. Speaking to Judah earlier, there was a judgment, but now speaking to Assyria, I'm back in our main text, Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 13, speaking to Assyria, he will snatch out of his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as the desert. Flocks and herds will lie down there, creatures of every kind. The desert owl and the screech owl will roost on her columns. Their hooting will echo through the through the windows, rubble will find and fill their doorways. The beams of cedar will be exposed. This is the city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I'm the one, and there is none besides me. What a ruin she has become, a lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. Did you catch that? This city, as good as it was, I am the one. There is none besides me, she said. And God didn't take kindly to that. You might remember that last week we talked about the names of Molech and Baal and that each name in its root form is actually one of the names that God refers to himself as. And that wasn't a coincidence that Satan tried to name them those things. Whether it be king or lord, that when they were calling on the name of the idols, they're, they're blaspheming in the name of the Lord. They're misusing the name of the Lord, calling on these idols. And God doesn't tolerate that. But so it is when someone says, I am the only one, there is none like me. And God says, well, prophet Isaiah 45, five through seven, I am the Lord, there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form light, and I create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. There is no one like me. So when a city says that about itself, God can't let that fly. He has to deal with that because they have invoked idolatry. They have put themselves at the level of God. This is the same tactic the evil one has used for many, many, many years to make people think that they can be equal to God. It was, it was the same temptation that we saw in Genesis 3. For God knows that in the day you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. You will become like God, was the temptation. The Tower of Babel was no different. Genesis 11, verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. First key phrase tonight. Anytime humanity proclaims themselves or their creation to be equal to God, judgment is near. You better watch out for those statements. Anytime humanity proclaims themselves or their creation to be equal to God, judgment 
is near. This pattern repeats a lot in the scriptures. I gave you Adam and Eve. I gave you the Tower of Babel. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter four was stripped of his kingdom, was kicked out when he thought to himself, I'm like a God to these people. King Herod, Acts chapter 12. As a matter of fact, let me read that one. Acts 12, 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. This is what happens when you try to take the name of the Lord when it belongs to him alone. This is what happens when you try to take the place of God because there's no one like him. Judgment is coming, and that's what Zephaniah is talking about. He's not only talking about the idols that you carve, now he's talking about cities that you build. He's talking about cultures that you worship, governments that you have honored or we have honored more than God himself. Government is not our savior. A country is not our savior. We love Israel, but we don't idolize Israel. Only God deserves that praise. Now with so much judgment being prophesied, what is it that God is looking for? Back to the text, Zephaniah 3, verse 12. I'm in chapter three, verse 12. But I will leave within you the meek and the humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. You see, in all of these proclamations of judgment, whether it be physical idols or cities or names or gods or anything false, God is always looking for something. But he gives the direction of warning. He gives the anecdote or the antidote to the judgment. And it's repeated in the New Testament, just like it's repeated in Zephaniah. We build a bridge between the two of them, just like we do in the discipleship class. Come join us Wednesday night. It's not just by the apostles that make the link. It's also by Yeshua himself. Matthew chapter five, verse five, he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You ever wonder who gets sheltered? You ever wonder who gets protected in the midst of judgment? It's the meek and the humble. Zephaniah said it. I will leave within you the meek and the humble. Yeshua said it. The meek and the humble will inherit the earth. Yeshua is preaching from Zephaniah right there. He's pulling forward the words he already gave Zephaniah. He's using them again during his own sermon. The two verses sound remarkably similar because they're coming from the same God. It also agrees with the opening set of verses from tonight back in chapter two. Seek the Lord, all of the humble of the land. Do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered in the day of the Lord. Our second key phrase tonight, the way to assure God's favor and protection is to be humble. That's how you do it. It's not rocket science, it's not super hard. Don't try to be God. Don't try to be on his level. 
Don't call anything what only God should be called. Don't honor something that only God should be honored at that level. Don't put anything above God. Don't run to anything before God. That's a simple formula. Humble yourself. Take the window after the, the decree. And this is really the example Yeshua gave us. Let me give you our final verse for tonight. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Because Yeshua gave the great example of humility. He wasn't asking us to do something that he himself would not do. It says in Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Yeshua, the Messiah, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, after being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, it took Yeshua's humility to get him to the cross. It wasn't all of the other attributes that he had inside of him that got him to the cross. It wasn't like his power, his dominance, his creative ability, all of those great things that exist in God. Those were not the ones that processed him to the cross. What got him there, the path that was laid out was humility, obedient even unto death, setting an example for us. Take the window. Take the window of mercy. Humble ourselves. Seek humility and meekness. Many other prophets talk about judgment. But here in Zephaniah, he not only gives the coming judgment description, but he gives the teachings of repentance like John did. He preaches just like John. Then he teaches us about humility just like Yeshua. And he's quoted by many of the apostles. James was one of the ones we read tonight. He's told us about the coming result of sin, disobedience, idolatry, pride, but he's also told us how to be saved, how to be sheltered, how to find God's favor. I was originally gonna close the, the sermon with this kind of cute thought that, wouldn't it be great? And actually maybe it would have fit well for Zephaniah to be preached in the New Testament age. And then I realized Zephaniah was preached in the New Testament age by Yeshua himself, by John, by James, by the apostles. What, is it, what are you getting at? Does God change? No. He never changes. You don't mess with perfection. God gives a prescription and his judgment wants to stop quickly. He's waiting for a humble heart to turn, even the smallest turn, that saw blade will drop. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your patience with us, your mercy. Father, I pray that anybody who heard this message tonight or watches it on the archives, that they would be honest with themselves. Did we feel you touching our heart tonight? Did we hear a whisper in our ear? Come to me. Come closer. I have something for you. Come. Father, give boldness and courage to anybody who heard that voice tonight to take one step forward. A step to yield our life to you. Ask you for salvation. Ask you for forgiveness. For those of us in the house that are already believers, one step forward in our maturity, one step forward in our yielding. Emptying out ourselves a little bit more today that more of the Holy Spirit can have room in us. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. Thank you for the prescription. Even though we profess that we know judgment in and of itself is also mercy and love and protection. But we thank you that you gave us a way in Yeshua. And we thank you that you never change, that we can trust in your consistency. We pray that in Yeshua's name. Amen.